welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23 through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather the mistreatment with God's people than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is God's word. Father, we are thankful to be before your word once again. And we open it with anticipation. We open it with anticipation that these are your very words. Your inerrant words. Your necessary words. Your sufficient words. Your satisfying words. And that your spirit is here. And he's going to guide us into all truth. And open it up for us and show us the the wondrous things that are here. And that's what we pray for, Lord. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Lord, we come here with all kinds of different needs, whether it's uh, burdens from sin, burdens from trials, whether it's fears, disappointments. Some people come here completely happy, and that's great too. And Lord, as we open your word, we know that you have everything we need in it. And so we pray, feed your kids. You're a great father, you always do, and we look forward to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been here in the book of Hebrews for quite some time now, and the book of Hebrews is a book that calls us to endurance. It warns us over and over again against drifting from Christ, but then it shows us again and again that Jesus is better. Amen? Jesus is better than anything we'd be tempted to leave him for. And in this text, we see actually three temptations that, that try to pull us away from Christ, that, that cause us to drift from him. And the temptations, I'll just give them to you up front, are the fear of man, the pleasures of sin, and the treasures of this world. And Moses faced all three of these probably more than we ever will, and yet he withstood those temptations he endured by faith. And what's cool about this text is it not only says, like, by faith he endured these, it actually tells us how, which is super helpful because, you know, if it were to just tell us, you know, that he endured temptations by faith, that can sound pretty vague. Like, what is faith? Is it just some vague, positive religious feeling? Like, what is this thing? But we know that faith is more than that. Look at verse 1 in Hebrews 11. By the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, just Google ESV Hebrews 11 so you can look at this because it's a lot better if you look at it. But if you look at verse 1, it says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is a way of seeing. It's a way of seeing things that are unseen. It's a way of seeing things that unbelief can't see. And faith gives us the ability to see through the temptation of fear of man. That's the first one we're going to look at. Faith uh, helps us see through the temptation of fear of man. Moses' parents saw through the temptation to be afraid of Pharaoh. Look at verse 23 again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents 
because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You guys remember this story? I'll just kind of back it up. But in Genesis, God's people had fled to Egypt because there was a famine. When the book of Exodus starts, it's, it's hundreds of years later, and they're there. They're there in Egypt, and their numbers had exploded, just like God promised to Abraham. And uh, the Egyptians become worried that there's so many of them, if there was an uprising, they would overthrow the Egyptians, so they enslave them. And then in Exodus 1, they go a step further, and they decide, you know, let's reduce their population. And so the Pharaoh orders that all male Hebrew children, when they're born, that they be thrown into the Nile River. But Moses' parents refused to do that. You see that in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And when they couldn't hide him any longer, you guys know the story, they put him in a basket, they kind of put him in the reeds along the riverbank. That's where Pharaoh's daughter found him. Uh, she finds this little baby and she adopts Moses as her own son and raises him in their family. But disobeying the king's edict was extremely risky for his parents to do. Extremely risky. Why did they do it? Well, verse 23 gives what seems like kind of a funny answer. Did you see it? Anybody find the funny answer? So verse 23 says that they didn't obey the king's edict because they saw that the child was beautiful. Moses was such a good-looking baby. He was a really, it was like a baby model, a little model baby. Actually, Exodus confirms this. It says that Moses was a fine child. And then in Acts 7, Stephen, when he gives his long speech, he says this about Moses. He says that Moses was beautiful in God's sight. So Moses was like, you know, like a really super good-looking baby. And that sounds funny, but what does it mean? What it means is that Moses' parents saw there was something special about him. And not just the way every parent thinks there's something special about the kid. They had a sense that there was something special about Moses because ever since the beginning, God had promised that there would be a child born one day that would defeat the ancient serpent, Satan, and set the world right. And so was this baby, there seemed to be something special about him, was he the one? You know, was he the one to defeat the serpent? And the answer is no, but as we're going to see, he's an awful lot like the one. He points to the one in some really strong ways. So they didn't fear Pharaoh because they believed God's promise. Moses also faced Pharaoh without fear. Look at verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Now there's something odd here too. And the odd thing here is, you guys remember how Moses left Egypt initially? What was his emotional state when he left Egypt the first time? He was afraid, okay? He's straight up afraid. Remember, Moses said, grown up, he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. He was enraged. He killed him. He hides his body. The next day, he realizes his crime is known. And so Exodus 2.14 says very specifically that Moses was afraid of Pharaoh, and he fled to Midian. So what's going on here? Well, a couple of things we can realize right off the bat. The author of Hebrews knows his Old Testament really well. And so Whatever we think he doesn't know what he's talking about, he does, okay? And Hebrews is God's word, and we know that God knows for sure what, what Moses' emotional state was as he was leaving. So what's going on? Well, one thing to realize is that Moses fled Egypt twice, right? He fled Egypt twice. I think he's talking about the second time when he fled in a way that he was not afraid. When he fled the first time, he spent 40 years in Midian as a shepherd. Um, then after that 40 years, remember, God appeared to him in a burning bush he calls him to return and rescue his people from Egypt. And when Moses returns after that 40 years, he's a different man. He's not a perfect man by a long shot, as we can see as we hear the story, but he was prepared to face Pharaoh without fear. 
And because we've heard this story so many times, it's easy for us to miss how crazy courageous Moses was being, okay? So Moses, he, he returns to the place where he was a hated traitor and fugitive. It's been 40 years, but people remember stuff like that. And he's returning to the place and people that he was so afraid of. And then this time, though, he's coming in courage. And I just want to say that this just shows there's hope for us fearful folk, right? Those of us who have battled fear in our lives, battled fear of man, battled fear of all kinds of things, to see how God had done a work in Moses' life. Because here's Moses, he shows up where he was so afraid before, and he shows up and he's speaking to the most powerful man on earth, and he says, I've come to take your slaves away. That's crazy courageous, guys. That's like you marching into Iran or North Korea unarmed today and saying, you know what, I'm taking anybody that wants to go with me. Who wants to leave? You know, and you think of what the dictator would do. It would be like, oh, really? Okay, well, we're just going to kill you in a very painful way. God had done a thing in Moses' heart, hadn't he? He'd done something major in Moses' heart. It says in verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. And for these original readers, guys, fear of man was a huge temptation for them too. Just as Moses had a temptation to fear Pharaoh, the original readers of Hebrews had a huge temptation to fear man. Think about it. They were Jews who had come to see that Jesus was the Messiah, and now they had to tell their family what they believed about Jesus and their friends and their community, and they had to face the Roman authorities, right? Um, Jews had a special exemption at that time. They didn't have to worship the emperor, but Christians had no such exemption. There were tons of reasons for them to fear man. Fear of man tempts us too. Fear of man tempts us to drift from Jesus as well. You might not face a threat of death, but let me give you a few manifestations of the fear of man, and we'll see how you do. You ready? No, I'm afraid of it. Well, here we go. Some manifestations of fear of man. Do you feel peer pressure? I'm not just talking kids. Adults definitely feel peer pressure as well to do whatever everybody else is doing. Do you tend to overcommit not being able to say no to people and what they want you to do? It's fear of man. Good, good job raising the hand. We'll do some hand raising. Are you emotionally needy? Do you feel like an imposter sometimes? That's fear of man. Do you worry about what other people think about you? Do you ever lie to impress people? Do you ever lie to cover up your faults? Do you avoid people? Do you hide your faith? Do you have fear of sharing Christ? The Bible calls that fear of man. So those are all manifestations of fear of man. You don't have to like be afraid they're going to kill you to fear man. It's much broader than that. And the Proverbs say that the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. And the traps are everywhere, aren't they? They're everywhere. Guys, the cool thing about this passage is it shows us that faith sees through the fear of man. But what does it see through to? If it sees through the fear of man, what is it seeing in the distance? What is the thing that, that faith sees? Look at verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Isn't that helpful? How did he endure not being afraid of Pharaoh? And how do we endure? And he says it's by seeing him who's invisible. Faith sees the person that's right in front of you that you're tempted to fear, but faith sees something behind them. Faith sees something bigger than them. Faith sees God. The way that we walk in freedom from fear of man is by seeing God more clearly. Ed Welsh has this great book. Actually, I got a copy of it right here. When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's about fear of man. I've got like five copies of this. If you're like answered yes to any of those symptoms that I just 
you know, please call. Now, I've got five copies of this book for you right here. If you will read it and, and you're interested, in, but it, it talks about this very thing, how the gospel sets us free from fear of man. But even the title's helpful, right? When people are big and God is small, that's the exact problem. That's what fear of man is all about. It's about seeing people bigger than we see God, right? Faith is about seeing God and seeing humans in actual size, right? In actual size. Um, when Moses stood before Pharaoh and he saw him on his throne and it's all the intimidation of, of Pharaoh's court, he saw behind Pharaoh the true king sitting on his throne, glorious and gigantic, and Pharaoh looked so tiny in front of God's throne, didn't he? And there was no way Moses could fear Pharaoh when he looked so little like that, right? Isaiah 2.22 says this, Stop fearing man in whose nostril is breath, for what account is he? You know, and that's what we do when we fear man. Is we're, we're not seeing God in his glory and, and pl- wanting to please him. We're seeing humans as bigger than God. And so I just want to ask you this morning, is God bigger than your boss? Is God bigger than your boss? Is God bigger than your friends? Is God bigger than that person you want to share the gospel with? Is God bigger than your neighbors? Kids, adult kids? Is God bigger than your parents? Right? Is God bigger than your spouse? Is God bigger than your kids? He is, right? And if he is, then you'll be able to say whatever you need to say to them because you're actually saying it, seeing God behind them, huge and glorious. You're huge God standing behind. That's what gives you courage. That's what gives you courage to face people. That's how Moses did it. So faith sees through the fear of man. Faith also sees through sin's pleasures and the world's treasures. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Guys, think about how tempting it was for Moses to want to stay in the court, you know, to want to stay in the royal family. Think of all the advantages this guy had. I mean, he's being raised as Pharaoh's grandson, right? We know about grandpas and their kids and what they'll do for him. Grandpa's Pharaoh, right? Think about all the things he would give him, all the pleasures Moses had available, all the treasures he had. Or he could side with God's people who were slaves and wander in the desert with them. Those are the choices. Hmm, which to choose? You know, it's a tough choice. The original readers of Hebrews also faced a tough choice between pleasures of this world and, and comforts over Christ. If they left Jesus, they could just go back and enjoy the comforts of their old life in Judaism, right? There were comforts there. Or they could enjoy the sinful pleasures of the pagan Roman culture. But if they stayed with Jesus, they had to give up both. And we too are constantly tempted by both, aren't we? We're tempted by the pleasures of sin. We're tempted by the comforts of wealth. Some of us were tempted by like an overtly sinful lifestyle that if somebody knew the things we were involved in, it would, you know, it'd be sicken them, you know, we're tempted to that kind of thing. But others of us are tempted to the comforts of wealth, which seems a lot more respectable, but it kills your soul just the same, right? Jesus talked about that a lot. You can't serve God and wealth. Guys, faith sees through sin's pleasures and the world's treasures. But like the fear of man one, what does it see through too? If it sees through the, the pleasures of sin and the, and the comforts of wealth of this world, what does it see? Take a look at verse 26. Moses considered the reproaches of Christ 
which means like the shame or the, um, to be treated shamefully. He considered the reproaches of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses saw past all that, and he saw a greater wealth and reward by being united with Christ. He's like, whatever pleasures this sin will give or whatever comforts Egypt can give me, I've got something better in being united with Christ. I've got a greater reward. Even if that union meant to be reproached and mistreated. And it did, right? It meant to be reproached and mistreated. But it was an easy choice for him, right? It was a choice between eternal pleasures, eternal treasures, and something that was fleeting. Jim Elliott is a missionary that got killed in Ecuador in the 50s. He said this, really famous quote of his, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. One more time for the people in the back. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Guys, choosing Christ over the pleasures of sin and the treasures of this world is not really self-denial in the long run, is it? It's self-denial in the short run, but not in the long run. We're actually choosing greater wealth and greater pleasures. And some of you guys, maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you're new to thinking about these things, you might think pleasures? When you think about God, you think about like, I don't really think about pleasure when I think about God. Guys, where did you think all the happiness came from? You know, where did you think all the happiness came from? I mean, you might have thought, I don't know, maybe you thought, maybe you thought happiness was just chemical. It's just like a biological trick to your brain. There's nothing real about it. It's just like, you know, I could do it by injecting you with something. I could do it by stimulating part of your brain. It's just like some sort of a chemical trick. But guys, the good news is, is that happiness is far more real than that. And it's far more core to reality. That there is a intense, overwhelming happiness, joy, and love at the center of all reality. And it's God. God's where all the happiness comes from. Psalm 16 says this, that in God's presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's the source of all this happiness. Every bit of happiness you've ever experienced in this life was just a, a trickle from that like mighty river who is God, who is the true joy in the world. And so Moses saw, he saw that what he had in Christ, and he saw that Egypt's pleasures were just like small and fleeting. And we need to see that too, guys. We need to not be fooled. You know, we're very easily fooled to take the short term, to take the thing that doesn't last over the thing that's eternal. But let me do this thought experiment with you. Maybe this will help. Imagine being Moses. Imagine you're Moses or a female version of Moses, okay? Imagine you're Moses and you have all the sensual pleasures and all the earthly comforts of Egypt. Now imagine that you live 120 years, just like he did, right? And you have health the whole way to enjoy it the whole time, okay? And then imagine that after enjoying all that, you know, you, you die with the honors of the Pharaoh. Someday they like put your, you know, sarcophagus in a museum. You have it all, right? But you die, right? And you lose it all. And the question here would be, was it worth it? Was it worth trading Jesus for 120 years of immense wealth and pleasures? And here's the thing, guys. Most people sell out Jesus for a lot less. A lot less. You didn't even get that deal. You know, he sold him for something way less. I mean, Judas sold him for 20 pieces of silver. It's crazy. We sell him for so much less. Because everything that sin in this world has to offer is so small and fleeting compared to Jesus. You know, we need to feel that reality. That's the truth. And that's what we need to base our lives on. Jesus put it this way. He says, what does a man profit 
to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Like the most amazing thing ever said. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And for some of you, you're there and you're weighing that. You're like, what can I gain in this world? And you're willing to lose your soul for it. And uh, Jesus says, come to him. Faith doesn't just refuse sin's pleasures and the world's treasures, though. It, it does a step further, and you see it in Moses' life, and it's really interesting. Not only did he shun those, but he chose something. Did you see what he chose? He chose mistreatment with God's people and the reproaches of Christ. Isn't that interesting? He chose that. He chose to be associated with God's people, and I know that's tricky right now. You know, I just asked you guys this morning, if you feel like me, do you try to avoid publicly identifying with God's people? I'm not necessarily just saying avoiding identifying with Jesus, but do you try to avoid publicly identifying with God's people? It's convicting, right? And I can see why it happens. I mean, there's been a long-running smear campaign against the church. And it didn't just happen a couple years ago, right? There's a smear campaign against the church. And, it, and the, the enemy's goal in that is that you would just like slink away and not be wanting to choose mistreatment and the reproaches of being God's people. It can make you hesitant to identify with his people. And there's a lot of talk about evangelicals and how terrible they are and stuff like that. And there's this thing of like, you want to just go like, oh, well, I'm not one of those. Oh, I'm not one of these. And it's fine for you to distinguish yourself from the insanity in fact, I would do the same thing. We need to be careful that we're not distinguishing ourselves from the church, right? That's the temptation. Hebrews 13 says this, let us go to Christ outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. There is a very legitimate, good reproach and mistreatment that we're to choose, right? Guys, let's not be afraid to bear the reproach of being the church. Amen? Let's not be afraid to bear the reproach of being the church. And I just want to offer you something, and this was helpful to me. I heard this recently, and I thought, okay, this is helpful. I want to offer you just like one simple way to identify with Jesus and the church more, just in your conversations. I heard this. I thought it was really helpful. Look for some times that would be appropriate in your conversations with non-Christians to say something like, but that's what I love about Jesus. Could you say that once in a while? Maybe there's a conversation and they're saying something really negative and awful about religious people and you say, yeah, but that's what I love about Jesus. And then say some things you love about him. You guys love all kinds of things about it. It's very easy to come up with the next part of that sentence. That's what I love about Jesus. I love the grace of Jesus. I love the love of Jesus. I love the way he cared for the downtrodden. I mean, you could insert anything there. Isn't that easy? We could do that. We could, we could say, that's what I love about Jesus. Or you could insert it into your conversation, but that's what I love about my church. Let's make it super personal, right? That's what I love about my church. You might be talking about some of the cruelty or lack of care in the world, and you could just say, you know, but that's what I love about my church. And you could just share some little bit of love that you've experienced in the body, and you guys have experienced lots of love in the body between each other. When you say the church, you're not talking about some, you know, institution that owns this or something. You're talking about the people, right? That's what I love about the church. And you explain some love you've received, the love you've seen, how you have been able to deal with the challenges of life together, how fellowships blessed you. Or you could say, but that's what I love about the message of Jesus. That'd be easy to say, right? You know, you, somebody might be sharing their worldly way of thinking about good and evil or whatever, and you could say, you know what, that's just what I love about the message of Jesus. And you could share something about the gospel. That's what I love about the, the message of Jesus, that it's, that it's grace. 
you know, that it's not our works, that it's not our own righteousness. You can just drop something like that. Now, that might bring you some reproach or mistreatment, maybe. And if it did, you know what? Be super biblical. You'd be like, that's what happened in here, you know? Like, it would be like totally normal and great, and you'd be okay. You'd be fine. Or, and it might bring somebody to Christ. It should be even better. So faith sees through the fear of man. Faith sees through the pleasures of sin and the treasures of this world and even embraces the, the mistreatment and the reproaches of God's people. What else does it see? That's in verse 28. Faith sees something else. It sees our sin and our need for a substitute. Let me read verse 28 for you. By faith, we, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So here's another thing faith did in his life. It, it made Moses keep the Passover. And you think, that's weird. Like, how much faith does that take? Seems like a pretty easy thing to do, right? I mean, I get that you need faith to fight, like, fear of man, because I totally feel that temptation. And I totally get that faith is needed to see through the pleasures of sin and the, the treasures of this world. I get that. But how would faith play into, like, keeping the Passover? And I want you to think, guys, about Moses' context. Think about Moses' context. So going back to him. God's people are enslaved, right, by an evil ruler. Super easy to see who's evil here, right? Pharaoh's evil ruler. God sends Moses to free them. God comes and strikes the Egyptians with plagues over and over again. So he's striking the Egyptians over and over again because they're the bad ones, right? And sparing the, the Hebrews every single time. It would be really easy at that moment, right before the Exodus, for Moses and the Hebrews to think, we're the righteous ones. God must think we're righteous and they're terrible, right? Obviously, we're the victims here, right? And they might be like, oh, I get it. We're the good guys, and they're the bad guys. And we have that temptation too, don't we? We're the good guys, and they're the bad guys. But the, the Passover guys proves that that's not the case. The Hebrews deserve to be judged right along with the Egyptians, right? The only difference was that God provided the Hebrews a substitute for their sin, the Passover lamb, a covering for their sin, Moses kept the Passover by faith in that by faith he saw his own sin and the sins of the people, and he knew that they needed a substitute. Faith sees through our own self-righteousness. Do we need that? Okay. So that's a bad sign. Just to, I said, hey, do we need to see through our own self-righteousness? And it was like, yeah, yeah, no. It was like, okay. Do we need to see through our own self-righteousness? We do. Okay, cool. Good. I know I threatened you into that, but... It's still good, um, whatever motivation. Faith helps us see through our own self-righteousness. Faith sees through our religious attempts to try to be acceptable before God by our own goodness. Faith sees that. And the original readers needed that, right? They were tempted to return to a whole religious system that was based on you know, their righteousness by doing religious things. They had a temptation to trust in their own religious goodness, just like we do. But what does the book of Hebrews do? blows that up, right? It says none of these things will, will save you. You need Christ. And so faith sees our sin and our need for a substitute. Faith sees that we need a rescuer, right? Faith sees that we need a rescuer greater than Moses. And you knew this was coming, right? Because Jesus is the rescuer greater than Moses. Jesus is the one who left a much greater palace to bear the reproaches of his people, right? Jesus is the one who was a child beautiful in God's sight, right? His own son. Like Moses, Jesus' parents had to hide him from a murderous king. Interesting. They fled to Egypt. Surprising. 
They fled to Egypt so that he could later come up out of Egypt, just like the prophet Hosea promised he would. Coincidence? I think not. Unlike us, guys, Jesus never succumbed to the fear of man, did he? You look at his life and you're like, that guy does not have one drop of fear for anyone. So good to watch the way he had no fear of man. Remember the way he used to deal with the the religious leaders, right? Even when they threatened to kill him. He endured as him who sees God who is unseen. That his eyes were always fixed on his father. And that's why he had no fear of man. He didn't even fear Pilate. Don't you love the way Jesus like stands before Pilate in that, like, that quiet dignity? Stands before him. Pilate's so used to everybody just groveling and saying whatever they have to say to get out of being crucified. And Jesus is like silent before him, right? Even up to the cross, he had no fear of what man could do to him. In Gethsemane, Jesus did tremble, but he trembled before the wrath of God. He never trembled before a man. He never feared any man. He, he beat that temptation for us. Jesus was also tempted more than we are with pleasures and treasures. You remember how Satan himself tempted Jesus? He showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, just bow down before me. You could have it all. You don't have to do the cross thing. And he didn't take it, right? He refused the pleasures and treasures of this world. Instead, Jesus chose the mistreatment and reproach that we were due for our sin. On the cross, Jesus was our substitute. He was our Passover lamb to take away our sin. He was the greater Moses, giving the greater Exodus from the greater Pharaoh to give us all the treasures and pleasures of his love forever. And what's so cool to see about Jesus' life is that he did that for us, that Jesus defeated every temptation by fixing his eyes on the Father, and that righteousness is now ours. He says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so how do we do this? How do we endure temptation? We endure temptation by looking at the one who's conquered temptation for us. We endure temptation by seeing his righteousness, not just his example, which is helpful, but that his righteousness is our righteousness. Guys, that we have the greatest treasure that gives us the access to everlasting pleasure. We have Jesus' righteousness. And if we have Jesus' righteousness, guys, why should we fear the opinion of any person? I mean, you're righteous in God's sight. What does it matter of these lesser judges, right? Moses endured by seeing him who is unseen. And the cool thing is, because we have the Gospels, we have an advantage over Moses that we get to see the unseen God made visible, right? Moses just got to talk to God in a burning bush. In the Gospels, we've seen God made visible in Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the I am that Moses talked to in the burning bush. We've seen what he's like. It's a huge advantage for us. In Jesus, we've seen what, what a great treasure he is. Like, what are we going to hold on? We're going to hold on to have him. We've seen how he's greater riches, and that's the reward we look forward to. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your goodness and your grace that you would spare us from the penalty of our own sins by sending your son to be our Passover lamb, that his blood would cover us so that we never have to fear your judgment that has been taken care of. We have a substitute. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a way to walk in freedom from fear of man, knowing that knowing that we've passed your judgment because of Jesus' righteousness. Lord, help us to see you big. Help us to see you in actual size. And help us to see the people in our lives that we tend to fear. Lord, show us how small they are standing in front of your throne. How tiny, how 
we can almost not see them. Lord, help us to see you big and glorious. Help us to live to please you and not to please others. And Father, I just pray for those that are here that are just really, really battling the temptation of the pleasure of sin and that they know it's fleeting, but they still have an itch that they just keep feeling like they have to scratch. And I just pray, Lord, that you would liberate them from that even now. Even in this moment as we pray, we pray that you would do a work of healing in their lives and that that temptation would be removed, Lord. I pray that you would even heal them from that right now, Lord, that they would walk out of here free. Lord, and we pray that we would, as we struggle with these things, we'd see the greater pleasure we have in you. And we just spend time every day enjoying you so we don't walk around as, as people who are so hungry that we'll eat any garbage we're given. Lord, fill us with joy in you. And Father, we pray too, Lord, that you would free us from the idolatry of comfort. We are so comfortable. And we pray, Lord, that you'd free us from that, that we would instead choose the reproaches of Christ and the reproaches of your people, Lord. Make us not seek our own comfort, but the glory of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.